you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Over the course of my four years in college and my several years in graduate school, I had several different roommates. I got along with most of them, even became very close friends with a couple of them as well. Of course, there was one or two that lived a very different life from me, so we were more like the old odd couple TV show. Even when my college roommate and I were good friends, there was never a thought that we were somehow in an intimate relationship. We were just roommates. He did his thing and I did mine. He had his activities, I had mine. He had his other friendships, I had mine. You get the idea. A roommate can be a nice companion, but at the end of the day, he is just a roommate. Unfortunately, many couples become good roommates rather than good intimates. They develop what I call a roommate marriage instead of an intimate marriage. This goes directly against God's design for marriage. As we read in Genesis 2.24, marriage is about two people leaving mother and father and becoming one flesh. No other relationship is described as one flesh in Scripture. Not parent-child, not sister-sister or brother-brother, not even two best friends. Thus, marriage is designed to be intimate in a way that surpasses any other relationship, whether friendships, family, etc. Yet, our sinful flesh, as always, resists God's design. At some level, we want an intimate marriage, but it comes at great cost. One flesh means that I must sacrifice me. So I see married couples all the time creating a level of comfort in their marriage, a roommate marriage. It looks peaceful at times without much conflict. It gets a lot done, but it lacks true closeness. The roommate marriage is very practical, yet without real intimacy. And a roommate marriage becomes totally isolating when conflict comes. Like an episode from one of my old favorite childhood TV shows, The Brady Bunch, where Peter and Bobby were just not getting along. So their solution was to run a piece of masking tape down the center of their shared bedroom. Each had their own exit door and each stayed on their side of the room. That's a picture for us of the roommate marriage gone bad. When there is no intimacy to begin with, conflict drives a couple further into emotional and physical separation. But God calls us on to something greater as his people. Reflecting the closeness of the Trinity, he moves us to press on from roommate marriage to an intimate marriage. So how do we do that? Well, that's what we'll be talking about as we dig down deep into the heart of the matter of intimacy today. When I ask couples in counseling to talk to me about their intimacy, they typically go right to their sex life, their physical intimacy. Well, while it certainly is true that our sexual relationship in marriage is intimate, it should not be thought of as equivalent with intimacy or the only way our intimacy is expressed. 
Let's begin then by developing a good working definition of true marital intimacy. The dictionary definition of intimacy is, quote, marked by close association, contact, or familiarity, end quote. So in one sense, intimacy is defined by its closeness. Since marriage is the closest of all human relationships, it is meant to be intimate. Well, Scripture helps us with our definition as well, as it uses derivations of the word to know to describe the physical intimacy between a man and a woman. In Genesis 4.1, we read, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. This physical sexual intimacy is built then on a deep knowledge, a connection and contact that, again, is designed to be the closest of all human relationships. Additionally, as Christians, we must recognize that true marital intimacy is built on two spouses having a growing knowledge and relationship with God. In other words, it is built on true spiritual intimacy with the Lord. To put it more strongly, a Christian marriage can only be truly intimate when two people are growing in intimacy with Christ. An old illustration is helpful here. Picture a triangle with a husband and wife on each point at the base of the triangle and Christ at the highest apex of the triangle. Only as each spouse moves towards the pinnacle, the apex of that triangle towards Jesus, do they move closer and closer to one another. Since our covenant is not just with each other, but also with the Lord, then growing closer to him is mandatory for growing closer to one another. So if you are struggling with intimacy in your marriage, ending up with just a roommate marriage, it may be because one or both of you are not growing in a relationship with Jesus Christ, failing to be intimate with him. The flip side then to that is the question, can you be growing in intimacy with Christ and not with your spouse? Is that truly possible? Okay, as you think about that, let's get practical on what intimacy is supposed to look like in marriage what I refer to as five-fold intimacy. Now, to make it easy to remember, think of intimacy as the five fingers on your hand. They are all connected to the palm of your hand, right? So before we talk about the five interconnected aspects of marital intimacy, let's take a moment and talk about that palm of the hand and what connects all of intimacy together. Well, that should be easy. What connects all intimacy is true marital love. Now, we talked about love as connected to compassion in a previous podcast, but let's say a few more things about love as it connects to intimacy. First, an intimate love is not mere sentiment or emotion. Let's face it, our culture has gutted the whole concept of love to simply be a sentiment, a fleeting emotion or affection, or just intense sexual desire and passion. Plus, we have often idolized romantic love by our movies, television shows, music, etc. Now, romance is certainly an aspect of intimate love, but the world displays this as the only kind of love or the most important aspect of love. The essential problem here is that modern love is divorced from action. Something I hear regularly from the couples I counsel, things like, we fight all the time, can't seem to live with each other, but we really do love each other. What does that even mean? And when someone is not in love anymore, the marriage is over. 
no more responsibility to actually love. Yet biblical intimate love is much more than emotion. It is rooted in action. Which leads us to the second point about intimate love. Love bestows loveliness. Or another way to say it, true love has an impact. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ's love impacts us, the church, his people. It sanctifies us. It cleanses us. But it also makes us lovely. Christ did not find us beautiful. We were made ugly by our sin. Christ's love, though, for us has the effect of securing salvation, but also sanctifying us, cleansing us in order to present to himself a beautiful bride. Christ's love is totally effective. It accomplishes what it sets out to do. In a limited human way, husbands are called to imitate this love that has effect. He must love in a way that brings loveliness to his marriage and helps to produce beauty in his wife inside and out in order to present to himself a beautiful wife. Again, the responsibility of the lover, the husband. Consider also 1 Corinthians 13 and how it outlines love that impacts other people, even in the context of marriage. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-6, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Of course, wives must cooperate with the husband's love, also responding with biblical love herself. This is the way it's supposed to work. Unfortunately, we often have intimate love reversed. We think we cannot love if we don't feel it or if the other person has wronged us. If she wasn't ugly to me all the time, I could be really loving to her. If she wasn't so cold to me, I could show kindness to her. If he wasn't so selfish, I would be much more loving. Wrong. Biblical love is self-sacrificial, and it has an impact. Our spouse's wrong behavior should never be an obstacle to our right behavior of love. Finally, biblical intimate love must be grounded in grace. Listen to 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You hear it, right? In the context of marriage, we can only love because of God's love for us. It is by God's grace that we are loving at all. Ask yourself regularly, verse 11, If God so loved me, why am I not loving my spouse? 
This love is based on biblical action. So love then is the palm of the hand. It connects all five forms of intimacy so they work together in harmony. Well, let's go to those five fingers, that five-fold intimacy, those five aspects of true closeness and oneness. Now, as we go through them, do a mental evaluation, maybe on a scale of one to ten, so you can see how you are doing on each one. Here we go. The, the first finger, the first aspect of intimacy is spiritual intimacy. Spiritual intimacy defined as growing together spiritually, spiritually one and intimate. Now, we too often think of our spiritual lives as independent, our own personal relationship with Jesus. While it is true that our intimacy with Jesus is very personal and must be cultivated on our own, our spiritual lives are not to be only private. In other words, our spiritual lives are to be shared in marriage with our children in the community of believers, as we witness to unbelievers. Husband and wife are to be equally yoked as Christians and then move towards each other spiritually over the course of their marriage. So what are some practical ways to build spiritual intimacy? First, praying together. I'm often surprised how few Christian couples pray together. I shouldn't be because even I find it very difficult partly because it is a regular discipline. And praying together also makes us vulnerable, which is tough for us as couples, especially for husbands. Yet we must be available to pray for each other and with each other. Second, we should read God's Word together. Opportunity to study and to discuss, to hear from God as He speaks through His Word to us. Third, we should attend church together, Bible studies together, Sunday school. How can a couple grow in spiritual intimacy if they go to different churches? That's very tough. Hopefully when we're listening to the same sermons and the same Sunday school classes or Bible studies, we are both growing spiritually and growing together. If just one spouse goes to church on a regular basis, spiritual growth will be impeded as far as the couple goes. We will not be learning the same things or even believing the same things about the gospel, about Christ, about our own sanctification, about our marriage. Another way to build spiritual intimacy is by having theological discussions. Unfortunately, often people do not talk about theology, even when they are dating. But Christian couples must have thoughtful theological discussions. Why is that? Well, because in living this life together as a married couple, our life choices are rooted in our theology. We need to be on the same spiritual page as one another. Finally, we can grow in spiritual intimacy by ministering together. Whether it's teaching a Sunday school class together, doing mercy ministry together, going on a mission trip together, When we serve others for Christ, we grow spiritually and the work binds us together. Spiritual intimacy, then, is that first finger on the hand, and we could argue the most important. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how is your spiritual intimacy? Second, there's mental intimacy. Mental intimacy defined as the ability to think together, reason together, 
have the same mind on issues. Mental intimacy is the process of becoming one-minded, thinking more and more alike as a couple. Have you noticed how similar you think as you've grown together? Well, mental intimacy is often an overlooked area of intimacy, but is as important as all the others. Think about it. We're often closest to people who think like us. And when we find ourselves in disagreement over a social or political or theological issue, it is very difficult. So how do we build mental intimacy as a married couple? Well, first, we need to talk together. That's pretty obvious. We need to talk about things to gauge how we're thinking about things. We must talk about the issues of the day, things that are important to our marriages and families. Do not avoid talking about politics or religion with your spouse or anything else. Second, discuss action plans. What would we do about such and such situation? Sort of like working on a case study together. For example, even before you have a teenager, what would you do if she wanted to start dating at age 13 or brought home a non-Christian boyfriend? Or what would you do if your parents could no longer take care of themselves? In other words, discuss future plans and how to handle the obstacles you know are coming. This helps your thinking to mold to one another. And finally, read together. Many couples do not feed off the same knowledge because they have different interests, reading habits, television viewing habits, etc. So get in the habit of reading books together, reading the news together, watch informative television shows and, and discuss them. To have mental intimacy, your spouse is to be one who challenges your thinking process and makes you into a better thinker. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how is your mental intimacy? Third, let's talk about emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy defined as opening our hearts to one another. It's the process of sharing feelings, desires, dreams. This is that intimacy that wives, generally speaking, tend to desire the most. And husbands, generally speaking, tend to avoid. Yet both husband and wife need it. We need to be emotionally connected to one another. So how do we build that emotional intimacy, the third type of intimacy? First, have more conversations that share feelings, not just facts. Many of our marital conversations sometimes can become very practical and mundane. They can appear to be more like business meetings than communication between two intimates. We need to be in the habit of sharing how something has made us feel, not because we're driven by our feelings, but because it is intimacy building to share them. Sharing thoughts and feelings define emotional intimacy. Another way to build emotional intimacy is comforting each other, being there for each other in crisis, in sadness, in difficulty. These are opportunities to grow together in the hard times. Yet, oftentimes, couples are pulled apart by tough situations. This should not be. How a couple makes it through crisis does say a lot about their intimacy level. It's not good if a spouse feels more safe emotionally with friends than with a spouse. And then finally, seeking to understand each other. 
To truly know someone intimately, we must grow in understanding of their point of view, what makes them tick. Husbands are commanded in 1 Peter 3 to dwell with your wives in all understanding. While we men can joke about not being able to figure out women, husbands and wives must do the work to truly know each other emotionally. The bottom line is that a lack of emotional intimacy really takes its toll on marriages, above and beyond the other four aspects of intimacy. I see many marriages in emotional divorce long before they experience a legal physical divorce. If we do not consciously build up our emotional intimacy, we tend to grow cold and disconnected from our spouses. It is easier to have affairs, to pour ourselves into other people and activities when we are not emotionally intimate. So how do you rank your marriage on this aspect of intimacy? Fourth, we need to have recreational intimacy. Recreational intimacy, playing together, working together, socializing together. It is vitally important for couples to keep spending time in activities together. Now, this tends to be easy when we are dating, often still fairly easy in the first couple of years. But then children come along, life gets busy, etc. But the sharing of activities even later in our marriage is essential. Unfortunately, way too often, spouses put most, if not all, of their time into their own personal hobbies, separate from their spouse. Husband hunts and fishes, while wife antique shops and does gardening. Years ago, one Christian marital expert went so far as to propose that healthy couples should have very few individual recreational activities at all, only those that they can enjoy together. Now, while this might be an extreme view, here is the reasoning. First, activities build intimacy. Your marriage needs to be intimate, so share your activities with your spouse. And second, we have so little recreational time in many of our marriages as it is. If you spend most of or all of that time apart, well, you get the idea. Isn't it true that some of our fights in marriage come from our hobbies and activities not being the same? What can we do about it? How do we build recreational activity? Well, first, the most obvious is share hobbies together. Here's a challenge for you. Make a list of 15 to 20 hobbies or activities you enjoy and see which ones you both actually enjoy. Many couples who've been married a while just have dinner and a movie alike. Well, that's not enough. You might find that you have to try some new things to find things you both enjoy. Is that so bad? It is often simple laziness that keeps us from doing fun things together that we can look forward to, talk about, and share a common experience together. Another way to build recreational intimacy is work together. Well, that doesn't sound like recreation, does it? But it does fall under this category. Yet many couples can't work together, even on the simplest task. What does this say about their intimacy? There can be a lot of joy in working on a project together. A couple should even have a practice of sharing chores from time to time. Both wash dishes together, both cook together, then move on to the next chore, etc. We often do way too much division of labor rather than sharing of tasks. And then finally, 
learn to socialize together, develop couple relationships instead of just individual relationships. Christian couples can nurture one another. Of course, sometimes it can be very tough to find couple friends, but it's worth the effort. Again, we can sort of lazily just stick to our same circle of friends rather than cultivate friends we can have together as a couple. A couple who enjoys very little of the same things are setting themselves up to find other people who enjoy what they enjoy. So how do you rate your recreational intimacy right now on that scale of 1 to 10? And finally, the last of the five, sexual or physical intimacy. Sexual, physical intimacy. We know what that is, right? Our literal one fleshness, our sexual connectedness that must be grounded in a love for God and a growing closeness in all the intimacy areas that we've already described. Again, the hand with five fingers is to remind us the fact that intimacy is all of one piece Problems in sexual intimacy are often rooted in the lack of intimacy in the other four areas. It should stand to reason that our physical intimacy is greatly impacted by our spiritual, emotional, mental, and recreational intimacy. Thus, improving all those areas will indirectly help your physical intimacy. Yet, in some ways, our physical-slash-sexual intimacy is very unique with its own challenges separate from the others. So here's a few practical things to apply in your sexual intimacy. First, displays of affection are essential. How is your love displayed? Is it displayed at all? With affection, hugs, kisses, or was that just for your dating days? Do your children, if you have any, see a marriage with lots of conflict but little public affection? It's not that you have to put on a show for those around you, and certainly too much PDA in public places is a no-no. But displays of affection that are natural show a healthy amount of physical intimacy. We should be comfortable with each other's bodies in a non-sexual way. Remember, your one-flesh relationship is a picture of Christ taking his bride, the church. Second, discipline should characterize your physical intimacy. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, verse 5 especially, teaches the regularity of sexual love in marriage. This disciplined regularity protects us from sexual temptation and increases the closeness in our marriage. Couples are not to withhold sexual intimacy from one another except for agreed-upon times of fasting and prayer for greater spiritual intimacy. Other than that, we must be regular in physical intimacy. Of course, this is not to be a forced thing or just a law-keeping thing. And one spouse must not coerce the other. Whatever is keeping a couple from being regularly sexually intimate must be solved. Sometimes everything is getting in the middle of it, and we need to be more disciplined and diligent to come together. Next, Faithfulness is the cornerstone of physical intimacy. Hebrews 13.4 says that marriage is honorable and the marriage bed must be undefiled. Christian couples are to be faithful to one another. Our hearts must be committed to our spouse. That's why lust is such a sin. 
It leads to more sexual infidelity. Our faithfulness to our spouse is a picture of our faithfulness to God or a lack of it. How can we be intimate with one another if there are fears of unfaithfulness? On the other hand, what peace and freedom there is when we know that our spouse's body and mind and soul is ours and not someone else's. Intimacy is connected to loyalty. Marriage is defined by one man for one woman. Finally, physical intimacy is all about serving one another. Again, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5 teaches that our bodies are not our own. They belong to one another. Our sexual intimacy is meant to be not just lovemaking, but lovegiving. It's a real problem when our sexual life becomes one-sided, where one spouse is giving and the other just receiving. It's not just for me, it's for us. We sacrifice ourselves for the other. That's real love. There'll be no real intimacy in marriage if it's all for self and not to give love to one another. So there you have the five-fold intimacy of the intimate marriage. How are your ratings? Probably not all tens. As I've said in multiple podcasts, we must remind ourselves that we are two sinners that God is sanctifying in marriage for his glory. So how can two sinners be intimate? Our sin will always tempt us to be more like good roommates at a safe distance. Because as great as the intimate marriage sounds, it comes with the price of dying to self, risking it all, no boundaries approach to marriage. To love one another as God loves us is impossible. That's why we need the grace and love of God. Remember, true intimacy in marriage comes from intimacy with Christ. Only then can we grow in all five areas of marital intimacy, spiritual, mental, emotional, recreational, and physical. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.